And I want to read some verses here, try my best to preach to you and deliver to you what's on my heart from the Lord. And I need your prayers this morning, God, to help me uh, to be a help to you. That's what I want to be. And I don't want anybody to get their feelings hurt, but I'm going to preach what's on my heart. And I'm going to ask the Lord to take it and help me to say it the right way and for it to find lodging in your heart and help you. All we can do as preachers, really, and it was mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour about uh, being a mailman. That's all we are. We just put the bills in the mail, and it's up to you to pay them. That's what the mailman does. I mean, it, it don't do any justice to criticize the mailman for the mail that's brought. We just got to respond to it, and so I want to try my best to deliver what's on my heart today. If you'd pray for me, that God help me. I'm very guarded against a bad spirit, and I'm not going to preach in a bad spirit. And if I feel a bad spirit coming on, I'll sit down. That's not my desire. There's no benefit, nothing good. Ever, it don't matter if it's, you can do the right thing a long way and with the wrong attitude. And I don't ever want to do that, and I don't have a bad attitude this morning. I've got love in my heart, and I want to help you and help me this morning. God help us together. Exodus chapter 1, when you found your place, if you'd stand out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read the whole chapter and then read into chapter number 2 just a few verses. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters, to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the, made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shiphrah and the name of the other Pua. And he said unto them, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied, waxed very mighty. It came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Now when a man of the house of Levi took to wife a daughter of Levi, the woman conceived and bare a son. When she saw him that he was a goodly child, 
She hid him three months. When she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, daubed it with slime and with pitch, put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I said already that it's been on my heart about children. I've pondered about this scripture and the Lord has directed my heart here. And I've thought about, and we mentioned this morning, I'm not preaching this this morning because it's Mother's Day, but because it's what's on my heart from the Lord. But we talked this morning about mothers and godly mothers. Here in the scripture we have mention of a mother her influence on her child. We have here recorded the mother of Moses, Jochebed, and how that she knew the commandment of the king, she knew what was to be done, and she hid her son. But there came a time that she could not hide him any longer. And God's been dealing my heart to preach this morning on when you can't hide him, any longer. What do we do then when we can't hide them any longer? Now we must go back to the beginning and take it in its context. Joseph has, of course, been forsaken, sold into slavery, brought to Egypt. He there has been, by the sovereignty of God, has risen to power, become second in command over all of Egypt. Joseph has interpreted the dream of Pharaoh that nobody else could. The Chaldeans couldn't, the astrologers couldn't, the, the soothsayers couldn't, the magicians of Egypt could not interpret the dream, but Joseph did. And of course we know the interpretation that there would be seven years of plenty such as there had never been in the land of Egypt, but following those seven years of plenty would be seven years of famine. And so the advice was given, the instruction was given to lay up in the seven years of plenty so they would have enough in the seven years of famine. And God in his power and in his will uses Pharaoh to exalt Joseph. And those seven years of plenty come and they build storehouses and they put it in the storehouse and Pharaoh puts Joseph over the storehouse. And when people come to buy corn in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh says, go to Joseph. And whatever he tells you, do it. Joseph's brothers and his father's in the land of Canaan looking at each other. And they're dying because of the famine. And their father Jacob says, Why look ye upon one another? I've heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get up. Take some money. Go down there and buy something to eat that we don't starve to death in this land. So they get up and they go. And they come to find out Joseph is over the land of Egypt. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Joseph sends wagons back to, to the land of Canaan to bring Jacob, his father, and all his family and all his brethren to Egypt to take care of them there. And so they come and Joseph nourishes them and, and Joseph takes care of them. And then in the latter portion of Genesis, of the book of Genesis, Jacob dies. And Joseph's brothers are now afraid. They said Joseph was only good to us after all that we did to him. He was only good to us for our father's sake. Now our father's dead. And now Joseph will deal with us the way we dealt with him. Joseph, of course, speaks to his brothers. He said, God, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. He said, I'll nurse you. I'll take care of you. And he did. But there came a time and Pharaoh and Joseph were very close and Joseph found favor in Pharaoh's eyes and, and all these things come to pass. But there came a time, the Bible said, that Joseph dies. Joseph makes a promise before he dies. He said, God will visit you and bring you out of this land into a land he promised and swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them. He said, you'll not always be here. You'll not always stay here. But there'll come a day 
and bring you to that land he's promised. Now we know in the scriptures that Joseph is the most perfect type of Christ in all the word of God. And so here we are and we pick up in Exodus chapter 1. I'm just going to preach this and give it to you how God has put it on my heart today. And here in Exodus chapter 1, Joseph is gone. Things begin to change. If Joseph is a type of Christ, and he is in the word of God, and we know that Christ died as Brother Jacob prayed this morning that he got up on the third day and then he showed himself according to the scriptures alive by many available proofs and then there came a day that he ascended back to heaven and he left. Now we understand that he's not necessarily gone. He's still there. He's seated at the right hand of power and making intercession for us. But in the context of the scripture, for us here on the earth as the church, the church was born and Christ has gone away. The Holy Ghost comes and things begin to change after Christ leaves. There arises oppression upon the church. Here we are in 2022 and things have changed all around us. And that's what's happening in the land of Egypt. In the book of Exodus, this new king, this new pharaoh arises to power and he doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't know anything about Joseph and he doesn't care about the people of Joseph like the other pharaoh did. And so it begins to put oppression upon the people of God. In the Bible, there are many types and pictures. Egypt is almost always a type of the world. Pharaoh is almost always a type of Satan. And so here in the scripture, we can apply this to us today in our age. And this king, this power, the Bible said he's the prince and the power of the air. He is that that worketh in the spirit and the children of disobedience. And he is putting oppression upon the people of God. Here in the scriptures, it says, come. And this Pharaoh talks to his people. He says, let's deal wisely with the children of Israel. The word wisely means let's deceive them. Let's trick them. Let's fool them. And was it not the Apostle Paul head to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 6 that said we need the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the word wiles means deceit, craftiness, a trickery, underhanded dealing. And we are fighting against an enemy that does not play fair. And here in the scriptures, he oppresses the people of God. And I look around in these days, I'm just going to preach that's on my heart this morning. If you'll pray for me, just give me a little time and I'll get where I need to be. But we're living in the most oppressed feeling that I've ever experienced in our church age today. And the people of God are dwelling under a spirit of oppression. He said, let's deal wisely with them. And so the way to do that, he said, let's set taskmasters over them. Now, if you look up the word taskmaster, it doesn't just mean how to afflict them with physical labor. But if you study it in its original, what it meant was not only did they place burdens of labor, but they placed tribute on them. Not only did they have to work, but they had to pay. And it cost them. And it afflicted them. It oppressed them. It literally drained the spirit out of them. We're living in them last days. I understand the word last days is a broad term. In reality, it began in the book of Acts. It ushered in the coming of the Holy Ghost. It ushered in the last days. But we're in the last of the last days. And Paul told Timothy in the last days, perilous times would come. And the word perilous means difficult to bear, hard to cope with, to drain the spirit from a man. And that's exactly what was going on in Egypt's day, in this day, in Exodus 1. And that's what's going on today. Is there such a spirit of oppression because of our burdens and our afflictions that we're facing? I thought about as Brother Tim taught this morning in the Sunday school hour, 
And I'd encourage you to come to the Sunday school hour and help, get help from the Word of God. And get instruction from the Word of God. Many times it ties in and links and God uses it to carry us into the preaching. But He talked about the Jews and how they were under persecution for believing. And we are there today. Paul, whoever you believe to be the writer, exhorted the Hebrew believers, the Jews, they were getting ready to kick out of the cause of their persecution and their oppression. And I'm looking around today, and there are many of the people of God that are kicking out of the cause of the days we're in. Oh, that may not quit church altogether, but they'll leave a, 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 a church that believes right, that preaches right and stands right and tries to preach the truth and a man of God that'll tell their children right. I'm telling you, the man of God don't like to preach hard, but sometimes there are hard things and difficult things that must be dealt with. We're not playing games here this morning. and We're not even talking about today and tomorrow or a hundred years from now, but we're dealing with eternity it's a serious matter and we, we watch people they leave our fundamental churches or they leave the churches that preach the truth of the word of God and they go somewhere where it's easier more convenient and more contemporary why? because the pressure's on what are we going to do when the pressure's on I remember Brother Joe Hyatt preaching a message about the three Hebrew boys and he said, what are you going to do when the heat's turned up? And we're in that day today when the heat's turned up and we either bow to the things of the world or we can stand for God and truth and right. And if we stand, oppression will come, persecution will come, affliction will come, and there'll be a fourth man in the fire right with us. And he'll carry us through. And so you've got to make the choice. You've got to make up your mind whether or not you're going to stand or you're going to bow to the oppression of the world. And there is oppression. But not only was there oppression, there was depression. They were depressed. The people of God were depressed. If you look at the scriptures, it says they afflicted them. The word afflict means to browbeat, to depress, to abuse. They were dealt harshly with. And it depressed them. They weren't used to this. Oh, they knew that they were in a foreign land. And I'm telling you this morning, we're in a foreign land. This world's not our home. If Joseph is a type of Christ, and Joseph gave them the promise, there's going to come a day, God's going to visit you and take you out of here. And you and I have that same promise. And there's coming a blessed day. He's coming again to get us out of here. But until then, we must live in a foreign land. Many times oppression comes. Many times depression comes. Depression is a reality of our day. And we can act self-righteous and we can act holy if we want to, but it's a reality for every child of God at some point or another in our life that we feel depressed or that we felt beat down or that we feel afflicted or that we feel like we've been abused and misused in this world we're living in. That's why the writer wrote this world. It's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We're not looking for here. If you've got your tip pegs too deep here, you're in trouble today. All this world has to offer is trouble and heartache and worry and misery and sorrow. But I'm glad there's a better day coming. Oh, I know there are going to be some things. Joseph said it. He didn't say it in an exact word, but what he meant was there's going to be some things you're going to have to endure. There's going to be some things you're going to have to go through. But he said when the hard times come, keep your eyes on the fact that God's going to visit and bring you out of here. We must keep our eyes on the fact. I understand it was said this morning in the Sunday school hour. We must occupy until he comes. He didn't tell us to go home, sell everything we got, empty out our bank account, sit by the side of the road, and make it the best we can, saying the Lord's coming. We've got business to be about. But God help us to get our eyes off the world, our heart off the things of the world, and set our affection on things above. 
ransom with Christ, then seek those things which are above. And so there was depression. I want you to listen to what the Bible says. It says that they made them serve with rigor. The word rigor, go home and look it up in the Hebrew in the concordance. It literally means to crush the spirit. It literally means to pull apart. Have you ever felt like in this world that you were being pulled apart? That's what the Hebrews were experiencing every day. Every day they got up and it was the same old, same old. Every day they went out and it was the same old, same old. And I'm telling you, we need not expect much less in this world. There are going to be days our spirit's going to be crushed we're going to be oppressed and depressed and feel like we're being pulled apart. And the Bible said in verse 14, He made their lives bitter with hard bondage. I've prayed this week, I'm just being honest with you, I've prayed God help me not to get bitter. We go through things, and I've went through some things, and I don't need to go into detail this morning, but I went through some things this week that have just about crushed me to the core, and have just about taken every breath I've got, every ounce of wind I had in my soul. I sat down in the chair in my room the other night, and I said, Lord, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And that's how we all feel from time to time. But he reminded me that just a little past the top of the hill, it's going to be glory for the child of God. The writer said, or the old man said, I want to know if he is heading in the right direction. He said, I'm going home. He said, where do you live? The man told him. He said, yeah, you're headed in the right direction. He said, I want to tell you, between here and the cemetery, the top of the hill, it's going to be a rough road. But he said, when you get past the cemetery, it's pavement all the way. I'm telling you this morning, I don't know what it's going to be like from here to the graveyard. I know it's going to be rough. I know it's going to be hard. But I'm glad once we get past there, it'll be smooth sailing for the child of God. And there's a lot of oppression and depression. And we're, none of us are apt, none of us are uh, uh, unqualified, none of us are out uh, to where we can get out of it, none of us are exempt from it. We might as well just chalk it up, mark it off. Just cause I'm a preacher doesn't mean I'm exempt from depression. Uh, just because you are who you are don't mean we're exempt from feeling like we want to give up. It's a reality for the child of God at times. But I'm glad there's a promise. That we're not here forever. Paul said, Our light affliction, which endure but just a moment, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this life aren't worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And there is oppression, and there is depression. But I want to preach this morning. God help me for just a minute. I find that there was oppression from Pharaoh. I find that there was depression from Pharaoh. This ruler, if we're going to preach him as a type of Satan, that's what it is for us, this wicked power of it is at work. Paul said we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And with that fight, with that wrestling, at times comes oppression and depression. Right. It's been on my heart about children. And I'm going to tell you from this, and I want you to hear me if you don't hear anything else that I say in the message, I want you to hear me from now till I get done. Pharaoh had an obsession with their children. Did you hear me this morning? Pharaoh, this new king, this ruler of the world had an obsession with their children. He didn't have an obsession with them, with the grown-ups, with the adults. He had an obsession with their children. And he said, if I'm going to get them, I can do it through their children. 
And I'm going to tell you this morning, it is an evident fact in 2022, the devil has an obsession with our children. And he knows if he can get our children, that's the quickest way to our heart. It ought to be anyway. And he knows if he can get them, he's got us. And Pharaoh said, I tell you what we're going to do. He said, I'm going to hire me two midwives. I'm going to send them in. And he told them, if you go in, and a Hebrew mother's bringing forth a child, he said, you look, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, she can live. But if it's a boy, take his life. Because I'm afraid that if they keep increasing in number, they're going to have a bigger army than we are. I mean, he laid awake in the bed at night. He obsessed about this stuff. I'm going to tell you this morning, the devil has an obsession with your children. And I'm preaching reality this morning. From a broken heart. I was listening to a song, and you know how I am with songs. I don't know how many of you ever remember the Spencers, the group, the Spencers. Growing up, I, we listened to them all the time. They, they would play in my house, in my grandmother's house as we was going to bed at night. And they're, they're the group that's the most known for, I guess, uh, it'll be worth it after all, child. They sung that song and became uh, pretty predominant for that. They're the ones uh, uh, that sung the song, Let's Meet by the River. They were known for that. Uh, but they sing a song called, Where Are the Children? And I was listening to that, and I put it on repeat, and I listened to it probably six or seven times. And my, my, t- my tears began to flow. And I said, oh God, help us for our children. For our children's sake. God, will you help us? God, will you give us grace? God, will you give us resolve? Will you give us determination for our children's sake? I could stand up here this morning self-righteous and preach about all these other women. Out of all these women, we only read about one that tried to spare hers. And we could preach about all those others that, that didn't try. We don't know if anybody else tried or not. There was no report. I mean, I'd like to think I know enough about a parent's love and especially a mother's love to know there were others that tried to resist, that tried and tried and tried and that there came a day they gave up. And we could preach about them this morning. I could preach a lot about these in the world. I'm telling you, we're suffering in 2022 from a lack of spiritual leadership and a lack of spiritual parenting in the home. Now I want to preach about the one that never gave up. In the midst of all the oppression and in the midst of all the depression and in the midst of all the obsession that Pharaoh had with the children, there was one mama and daddy that never gave up. And she perceived. She had a perception. I got three things on my heart about Jochebed and I'm done. She had a perception. Many commentators say it was a vision from God. I don't know what it was, but I'm telling you what she saw was that there was worth in her child. That's what the Bible said. She perceived, she saw that he was a goodly child. The word goodly means valuable or precious. She saw his worth. Not that... I don't read in my Bible where God gave her a vision that some 40 or 50 or 60 years later that he would come back and lead them out. We don't have that. She just knew that there was worth in this child, this gift from God. And she was going to do everything she could to protect him. Now I'm going to tell you what America needs. America needs a whole lot of things. I'm going to tell you one thing America needs is to get a perception about how valuable and how precious children are. I'm not preaching this this morning because of what's went on in the Supreme Court. I'm not preaching current events. I'm just preaching to you this morning about the fact that we ought to perceive how precious these gifts from God are that sit in our pews at Gospel Way Baptist Church. And not just to sit in our pews, and we ought to, as a church, perceive that when we go home, 
and the church is not together and we as parents ought to perceive how much value there is in the child from God. She saw his value. I mean, here we are this morning. I began to ponder about all the kids that are here and some go here all the time and some of you are here this morning visiting. We're glad to have you. But I mean, here we are in a little crowd of 40 maybe and there's probably a third of us that are children this morning. You understand how much value? I mean, we're all of value in the eyes of God. And Jesus said, our two sparrows sold for a party. And he said, God notice if one of them falls to the ground. He said, are you not much better than many sparrows? And we're all of value. But think about the value of the children that God's entrusted us with. With that value comes great responsibility. I thought about she perceived. She had a perception about how precious he was. Can you imagine? Put yourself, now we're talking physically here. Put yourself physically in the shape of Amram and Jochebed. Apparently Aaron and their sister was born before this decree came from the king. And they're looking all over at a son, an elder son, but they didn't have these worries when he was born. And they're looking over at a daughter, Miriam, and they didn't have these worries, and she's a girl anyway. And and I'm not trying to put one gender above the other, but the decree went forth that if it's a boy, you kill him. And Pharaoh was so obsessed when the Hebrew midwives wouldn't kill the babies He charged all the Egyptians. He said, when you know there's a Hebrew woman giving birth, this is really what he was saying, read it. He said, you charge in the house and if it's a boy, you snatch him up and throw him in the river. Can you imagine physically what Amram and Jochebed are going through as it comes time for her to bring forth this son. And they don't know. They got all these technologies now. They don't have them back then. They just had to wait till they're born. And I guarantee you, I'm just preaching how it's on my heart knowing how our flesh works and they're the same flesh and that we are. She probably prayed all the way through the delivery and to let it be a girl. So I don't have to worry about it, God. So I don't have to watch him be taken away. And would you just let it be a little girl? And she has this baby. I don't know if she had her had him by herself. I don't know if them Hebrew midwives come in that trusted God and knew God. But the words she dreaded to hear the most, they said it's a boy. And her spirit broke. She don't know the plan of God. She can't see years down the road when this boy is going to come back to Egypt and lead his people out and the fulfillment of the promise of Joseph is going to come about. All she sees is the here and the now and the decree is that he's got to die. Something goes on in her and she says, I'll hide him as long as I can. I don't know. I've heard other preachers preach. I've heard Brother Nibbett preach. There's a, saw, a sermon on sermon audio. Y'all listen. It's old. Called Alligator Alley. And he preached out this scripture. And he said them soldiers, maybe Pharaoh enlisted the soldiers to come in and search the house and say, you got any boy babies in here? If that was the case, don't you think that Jochebed wrapped him up tight and Made sure he had a full belly when she heard the soldiers were coming. Put him in the closet and prayed and said, God, please don't let him cry. Please don't let him make a sound. Just let him sleep. And for three months, she hid him. And for three months, she kept it quiet. And for three months, she kept him out of view. And for three months, she sheltered him. You say, preacher, you preach it. We ought to shelter our children. You're exactly right. You better shelter them from everything you can. You say they'll make fun of me. Let them make fun of all. And they're more valuable than your reputation. Yeah. 
children are more valuable than us feeling like we fit in. Our children are more valuable than us having a bunch of friends and rub elbows with and feel like we fit in with the other mamas and the other daddies. You better shout at them all you can. The devil has an obsession with your children. But there came a day, you hear me this morning, she hid him three months. She, she had a perception and then she went into protection. She sheltered him and hid him for three months. But the Bible said when she could not hide him any longer. I don't know what happened. I don't know what circumstances changed. But there came a day she couldn't protect him anymore. There came a day she couldn't shelter him anymore. There came a day she couldn't hide him anymore. You say, preacher, what what did she do then? Well, I want to say before I go on, not all the children in this church are little bitty babies. Some of them are growing up very quickly. And I'm going to tell you, I'm coming to the realization real fast that I can't hide mine forever. And you can't hide yours forever either. There's going to come a day that, that they're going to be exposed to things that we can't take it away. There's going to come a day that we can't keep them away from every little thing and we can't hide them any longer. What will we do then? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to preach how it's all my heart and I'm done this morning. Jochebed didn't start making preparations when Moses was two months and 29 days old. She knew this day would come. And she had already been making preparations. I'm going to preach my opinion here and you don't have to agree with me. I don't have any Bible for it and I don't have none against it. But the Bible said she took for him. That means it was already prepared. I think she had laid awake. In the, I'm saying I think. I think she had laid awake in the bed at night for the last three months and said, there's going to come a day that I can't hide him anymore. And she said, I'm going to be prepared when that day comes. And I'm going to tell you one of our greatest problems in our churches today and in homes and families is that we don't make any preparation from the time they're born until they get toward the teenage years and then we try to make 13 years worth of preparation in two weeks and it don't work. Better start now making preparation for the day that you can't hide them no longer. You better start now, and I'm just going to preach. And if you get your feelings hurt, you'll just have to, because God is a pushing on me to say it this morning. And that you better start now. And when they come from the womb, when they're a little bitty baby, I'm teaching them to be quiet in the house of God and have respect and pay attention. They don't need all kinds of toys and games. I'm not preaching being hard this morning, but I'm telling you, you better make sure they know about authority, because there's going to come a day they're going to have to submit to the authority of God. Now I'm going to tell you why so many children have trouble is they've never been made to submit to authority of their mom and daddy. They don't know what it's like to have their will broken. And it's a, I'm not saying God can't save them. God can do anything. But I'm telling you it'll be easier for them to submit to the authority of God and have their will broken in conviction if they're used to from time to time you telling them no. And I'm 32 years old. I don't feel real qualified to preach to parents this morning, but it's on my heart from the Holy Ghost. So I guess that qualifies me for just a few minutes. It won't kill your child to tell them no. And it won't kill them to not have an explanation as to why. You know the one I got is because I said so. And that ought to be weighty enough in your home that they don't have to know anything else. Ain't no mama loves them, daddy loves them. And if they say no, it means no. I understand that in every heart of every child there's a spirit of rebellion. I understand that. I understand it's going to come out at times. I understand that they're going to want more than just the explanation of because I said so. But we ought to make preparation and live such a life in front of them to show them we have their best interest in mind. And even when they don't understand, they submit to our authority. 
preparation better be made before the time comes that you can't hide them any longer. It's hard for some of you to envision. And again, I'm 32. My oldest child is getting ready to be 12. But it's coming more and more and more reality. And some things I've faced this week and dealt with in my own family has brought me to the reality that there better be some preparation made when you can't hide them any longer. And you better do some hiding. A lot of parents ain't doing no hiding. And they ain't doing no shelter, no protection. That child God gave you is precious. And the Bible, if you look up this word hid, the Bible said she hid him. It literally means to lay up treasure. It's literally what it meant. She put him in the bank to protect him all she could. When she couldn't protect him any longer, when she couldn't hide him any longer, when she couldn't, I say when she couldn't protect him, what I mean by that is she couldn't be right there every second of every minute of every hour of every day. She still protected him, but it's because she had made preparation for this day. You say, what'd she do, preacher? The Bible said she took for him an ark of bulrushes and she daubed it with slime and with pitch. She sealed out all that stuff she didn't want in there with him. And she put the baby in the, ba- in the basket. Now, you, you read the scripture. We get Hollywood on our mind. And we get the, the, the movie pictures and all that. The Bible don't say nothing about him floating down the river. It said she laid him in the flags by the river's brink. And he laid there until Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river to wash herself. And while she was bathing, he cried out. Now his sister is standing watching. And no doubt, I'm just preaching hats on my heart, no doubt, she had heard her mama pray in them times that the soldiers come for that baby not to cry, that baby not to make a sound. And she looks... I don't know what Jochebed thought. I don't know what Jochebed trusted. I know, but the Bible does say that she did what she did by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, go home and read it. The, the writer of Hebrews put her in the hall of faith by faith. Moses was hid in his parents three months, and when they could no longer hide him, they took for him an ark and put him in the river by faith. I don't know what she thought would happen, but she believed God would take care of her boy. And I guarantee you when Miriam looked and saw who it was coming down to the river, she probably went to praying too and said, God, don't let him cry now. This is Pharaoh's daughter. He'll be dead for sure. But against all their thinking, God made that baby cry. And the Bible said that Pharaoh's daughter walked over there and took him up out of the basket and she called his name Moses which means I drew him from the water. You say, how in the world could a mama put her three-month-old little boy in a basket and put him in the brink of the river and walk away? It's because she had made preparation for this day. It's no different than when the day comes And our children begin to make friends and see things and hear things and we can't walk with them hand in hand 24 hours a day. It's the fact we better have made preparation. I'm preaching from my heart this morning way down deep that we better have made some preparation for this day. You say, what did she do? Well, I want to give you what God gave me. She had him a shield of faith and a shield of prayer for this day. She didn't just start praying for Moses when she headed down to the river. But she prayed for Moses before Moses was ever born. 
She prayed for Moses the day Moses was born. She prayed for Moses when he was a day old. She prayed for Moses when he was a week old. She prayed for Moses when he was a month old. And she prayed for Moses when he was three months old. And the time comes she couldn't hide him. And she still kept praying. I'm going to tell you, we can't be with him all the time. But I serve a God who can. And I'm going to believe him. I'm going to pray. See, she built some things for Moses. I know the Bible just says she built this ark, but she built some things for Moses. She built a shield of prayer. She prayed for that boy. You better pray for yours. And I'd like for you to pray for mine. And I'll pray for yours too. It's a serious matter. It's a serious business. A big thing of praying for our babies. She had him a shield of prayer. I'm just giving you what God put on my heart. I'm going to say she built him a Satan. I know we're in the Old Testament. You say, preacher, you're stretching. I'm preaching modern day application for us in 2022. I'm going to preach to you what you better be building for your children. She built him a shield of prayer. (coughs) But she also built him a safety net of preaching. I said this morning, I was drugged to the house of God. And I can still remember some of them days when the preacher stood and preached to me. And I had something. I'm going to tell you, our kids are going out in the world. And they're going to have things flung at them and pushed on. They're going to have to have something to fall back on. And you better ensure, Mom, Dad, it's your responsibility and ensure that they are in the house of God under sound Bible Holy Ghost preaching. So that when the day comes and all that stuff shoved on them and they got to make a choice, God help us and build something they can fall back on. I'm not talking about bailing them out. I'm talking about preventing the bailout. I know we can't we can't control everything, but I'm going to tell you I want to make sure that the net that I'm trying to prepare for my children don't got no holes in it for them to fall through, to step through, to fall out of. I want them to know that when choices come and they don't know what to do, they can think back on the days in the house of God when the man of God stood and preached in power and they can fall back on what the Bible said. You better build one for your child. No matter their age. I'm not pointing anybody out. Nobody this morning. I just want to cover the whole spectrum. Whether they're unborn, whether they're a month old, whether they're 15, you better build a net that they can fall back on in the house of God. Because if the Lord don't come, there's going to come a day they're going to need something to fall back on. She built for Moses a shield of prayer. She built for Moses. I mean, look at it here in the Scriptures. It says she took this ark and she daubed it with slime and with pitch. She wanted to prevent anything and everything from coming in where he was. She built for Moses a shield of prayer. She built for Moses a safety net from preaching. I'm going to tell you, she built for Moses. She may have only had Moses three months. But in reality, we're going to find out she's going to have Moses a whole lot longer. Ain't it amazing? Ain't it amazing that she put that baby in the river and she walked away trusting God, but all the while walking away, she expected to never see Moses again. And that little girl watched Pharaoh's daughter took her up out of the river. And she went right and she heard Pharaoh's daughter say, find me a Hebrew woman to nurse this child for me. And the other went right and said, you want me to get you one? She said, yeah. And Miriam goes running down and says, mama, mama, Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. I think Jochebed's heart drops. But she says, 
She wants to keep him. But she needs a Hebrew woman to be his nurse. And she said, I could find one for him. And mama, I can't think of nobody better than for you to raise Moses. And that's what the Bible said. It said in verse number 9, and Pharaoh's daughter, verse number 8, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Now if I'm going to read the Bible right and understand this, it sounds to me like she he lived with her until he was weaned. It don't sound to me like there was a visitation program where she dropped him off a day. It didn't work that way. He had to be nursed. And it reads to me like she nursed him, raised him, and then when he became winged, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and then he became her son. Ain't that like God? To make it look like your child's going to be taken away, never to see him again, and then not only do you get to raise your child, but the Bible said she got paid money. She said, take the child, nurse it, and I'll give you your wages. Now, I don't know those Hebrew customs. I didn't take the time, didn't feel led to, to study it all out about at the age they're weaned and all these things. But however long it was, I guarantee you every night, I guarantee you every night, Jochebed told Moses who he was. She said, now little boy, I, I mean he's just a baby. And we think bringing the house of God when they're babies don't matter. And sometimes we think, and I'm not being, putting nobody out or, or being mean, but we think they're distractions when, let them cry. If I can't preach over a, a baby crying, I don't need to be preaching anyway. Bring them to the house of God. She didn't know whether they understood or not, but she had hope and faith. That little bitty baby looking up and smiling at her and she said, now boy, when I take you to her house, she said, don't you ever forget you're not really her son. You're mine. And you're not an Egyptian. You're a Hebrew. You don't serve their gods. You serve my God. And there's evidence that when Moses come of age, the Bible said he saw, it never does say in this Bible anywhere that he identified as an Egyptian. I mean, Hollywood paints this picture that suddenly it was sprung on Moses who he was. That ain't in the Bible. But it is in the Bible that when he saw an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, his nature of a Hebrew rose up in him because he knew that was his people. And I'm going to tell you what this Bible says. This Bible right here says, now you parents, listen to me. Especially you young parents, and I know I'm young. I'm just preaching. This book right here says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I remember being in camp meeting in Kentucky. There are a lot of things I can remember from many different services, but this one service I'll never forget. There's a preacher there and he's gone on to be with the Lord, Brother Wayne Henderson. He was a blessing. He loved everybody. He loved preachers. But he was a Bible scholar. Had been to school. Knew the Greek. Come out of a, a liberal church. Had been educated. And, and, and I'm not knocking things. As long as people can get the education, most of the time though, the education gets them. But preacher maybe at times would ask Brother Henderson, what does this mean in the Greek and in the Hebrew? And I remember they must have had a conversation before service. And I watched Brother Milby come up to the pulpit and he said, I want to quote you a verse, all you mamas and daddies. He said, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. He said, I asked Brother Henderson today, what does that mean in the Greek and the Hebrew? And Brother Henderson said, give me a little while, I'll come back and tell you. He went and studied, went and studied, and he come back and he said, Brother Milby, I've found it out. Brother Mibby said, all right, what does it mean? He said, it means train up a child in the way he should go.
And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That might not mean anything to you. I'm going to tell you what this Bible means when it says that. It means train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. You say, but preacher, you don't know where my child is today. You don't know what they've done. And do you have New Testament doctrine to back it up? There's a boy one day thought he knew better than his father. And he said, Father, give me the parcel of goods that followed to me. And he took his journey to a far country. And he wasted his substance with righteous living. No doubt his father thought, well, I wasted my time. I wasted my time raising that boy. I wasted my time training that boy. I wasted my time. What have I got to show in the tongue? But thank God the Bible said when he came to himself. You say, what happened, preacher? All them things he had been taught and trained, they suddenly dawned on him. And he said, it ain't good for me to be here. And I'm not here preaching this morning that if you raise them right, they won't break your heart do things to disappoint you and hurt you and you won't shed tears and worry and stay awake at night. But I'm telling you, if you raise them according to this book, there'll be a day they can't get away from how you raise them in the truth. And so she built him a shield of prayer and she built him a safety net of preaching. I want to say she built him on some standards of parenting. She raised him right. Now when I say standards of parenting this morning, I want you to hear me and I'm done. I didn't mean to preach this long. When I say standards of parenting, I'm not saying go to the bookstore and buy the next bestseller from Dr. So-and-so on how to raise acceptable human beings. I'm saying put your nose in this book and find out what God said about raising your children. If God said it's wrong, you ought to teach your children it's wrong. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what their friends do, no matter what their friends' parents do, it's that God said it's wrong. And if God said it's right, you ought to teach them that it's right no matter what anybody else says. No matter what our government says, no matter what the president says, no matter what the Congress says, or the Supreme Court or the Senate, if God said it's right, it's right. If God said it's wrong, it's wrong. No questions asked. No questions asked. And you ought to not hear me this morning. I may just be 32 years old, but I've learned a few things. Don't deviate. Unless God reveals to you something you need to change, don't deviate in your standards of parenting. Don't raise your kid one way at home and then another way in front of your parents. Amen goes right there. And I'm not being mean this morning. Don't raise them one way at home and then say, well, when we go to this friend's house or this person's house, it'll be okay to do it a little different. Stick with what you know is right. I'm going to say, when you're raising kids, don't be a hypocrite. Kids spot a fake quicker than anybody. I'm saying don't be one thing at church and another way at home. Our kids ought never to hear. We gotta do some things. We gotta pick this up, gotta put this away, gotta quit doing this and quit doing that. The preacher's coming over and we need to, the the kids ought never hear that. That's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. If I'd be ashamed to do it in front of the preacher or in front of the church, I'd just be ashamed to do it and wouldn't do it at all. I'm gonna tell you, and I don't want you to get mad at me, and I don't say it like that, but if you do get mad at me, you just have to get mad at me. That's all I know. Now I'm going to tell you, against the grain of this world, if you've got a little girl, make her a little girl. Amen. And if you've got a little boy, he ought to be a little boy. I believe that's right. God ain't confused. He wasn't confused when He made him. He 
didn't give you a little boy thinking that maybe you could somehow make it a little girl. He gave you a boy and it ought to be a boy. He gave you a girl and she ought to be a girl. How to be trained to be a young man and a young lady. How to be trained with respect of the elders in the church. How they ought to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, please and thank you. It ain't the children that need to go first in the line. It's the aged people. Ought to be trained to show some respect. Our nation is suffering for a lack of respect. And the reason we have a lack of respect is because we have a lack of parenting. Right. I'm 32 years old and I've seen more changes in my lifetime than I care to see. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, the little girls played, wore dresses and they played with dolls. And the little boys wore britches and they played with cars. And the little boys didn't want to play with dolls. And they sure, oh, Lord help me. They sure didn't have a mama pushing them to want to play with dolls. I know what I'm preaching right this morning. I know it is. God's not the author of confusion. What we've got right now is a bunch of confusion. And it's all the devil. It's all of this new king that's arose up. And we're bowing to the oppression and the depression. And we're losing sight of the fact that this king, this ruler, this power, the Bible said he is wanting to seek whom he may devour. He don't want to play with your kids and send them back. He wants to swallow them up. And we've lost sight to it. And I'm going to tell you why we've lost sight to it and I'm done. We've lost sight to it because we've lost sight to the fact that he's not our friend. And we've hid our pet sins. And we've treated this lion. I'm not doing any discredit to the Word of God typifying this Pharaoh to the devil all through the Word of God. In the book of Isaiah, he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar about the lion coming up from his thicket, but it's a comparison to the devil. He's coming out. He has no restraint. And that's what God said in Noah's day. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And He said, God said, My spirit will not always strive with man in Noah's day. And the word strive means to restrain. It means to hold back. And we're living in a day where there is no restraint. And we as adults have put our collar on a line and treated Him like a kitty cat thinking we've tamed Him and we can play with Him and control Him and He's going to devour us and our kids. I'll tell you something about people that train, try to tame wild animals. They'll tell you that they never can, if they're honest with you, they'll tell you they never can really be tamed. And almost every one of them has been bit somewhere down the line. And I'm here to tell you this morning, as little as I am, I know I'm nothing. But I'm here to tell you from the Lord this morning, if you play with the line, you're going to get bit. And you may just get bit, but your kids may be devoured. God help us this morning. What do we do when we can't hide them any longer? We better be building some things. And then I'll say, and I said it already, not only did she build for him, but she believed in God. She did what she did in faith. And I'm going to tell you, mamas and daddies, there are going to be days in all your building you're going to think, what is the use? I'm not doing any good. They're not listening to what I'm saying. There are going to be days you feel like you're beating your head against that wall and not making a difference, but just do what you do, believe it. Have faith in God that when you can't be there, He can. When you can't help Him, He can. When you don't have the answers, He does. God, help us this morning to protect our children, to pray for our children, to be real in front of our children. In my mind, in my ears is echoing 
The words of preacher Hanley Milby, don't teach your children to fake it because they'll do it when they get older. They ought to see genuine, real Christian in you and in me and in every child of God in this building. There ought to be no fakes. There ought to be real. Real in front of them here, real in front of them out there. It'll help build a net for them to fall back on. And they'll come to a place where they really... You may think it'll never come, but there'll come a day when they'll be reminded through the Scriptures and the working of the Holy Ghost that this God that mom and daddy believing in and the preacher's preaching about, He's real. And He can... He's helped mama! And He's helped daddy! And He'll help me too. That day will come. You just build on and believe on. And trust God to help our children. Father, I thank You this morning for the privilege and the opportunity to be in the house of God today. Thank You, Lord, for Your help in standing this morning to preach the Word of God. I know, Lord, it's not been much on my part as far as I'm concerned. Lord, it's all of You. And I pray, Lord, this morning that it's been received and perceived in the right attitude and the right spirit. Lord, I know... Within myself, it's been preached from my heart in the right spirit this morning to want to be a help and a blessing. Lord, to not get the calls days and weeks and months down the road about I wish I would have. Lord, help us to start now building and believing, Lord, for you, for our children. Help us today. Thank you for this day and all that it represents and all the mothers that are here. May you bless them. Give them a good day. Would you add your blessings to the Word of God? Above everything, Lord, would you get honor and glory to yourself out of all that's been said or done. We'll thank you and we'll praise you this morning for what you do. We ask it all in Jesus' name.